Hello, and welcome to episode two of the Learned, Heard, and Stirred podcast. I'm your host, Chanel Kenner, certified nutrition coach and clinical nutrition student on a track to become a registered dietitian. I'm also a wife and a mama bear to a beautiful, smart, and curious five-and-a-half-month-old Sophie, who is my unofficial co-host and sidekick. Please note that the information I provide on this podcast is not meant to replace medical advice from a doctor. So I've received lots of great questions, feedback, and topics you want me to cover. And the first area I wanted to dive into is diets. The scope of this topic is pretty broad, but I'll do my best to keep this as short as possible while also providing a good amount of information as well as some practical tips. If you've followed me on Instagram for a while, you know my feelings about diets. But for those who are new to my brand and perspective, you're in for a treat because I have a lot to say about this. I want to preface all of what I'm about to tell you by clarifying something. All diets, I repeat, all diets can work, at least in the short term. This is because all diets involve some element of calorie restriction, even if in disguise. If you're cutting out major food groups, you are cutting out calories from foods you would normally eat. The way this is packaged and sold to you, whether it's ketogenic, paleo, Whole30, calorie counting, vegan, or vegetarianism for weight loss, not ethical and environmental impact reasons, or religious, cultural, etc., I have nothing but respect for the myriad of personal reasons someone might choose one of these diets. I'm merely talking about diets for weight loss from a science perspective. There's a lot of information out there, much of it contradicting, which creates this vicious loop of can I eat this? I can't eat that. And it goes on and on. If you absorbed info from every food and diet article on the internet, there would be literally nothing you could eat without developing cancer, gut problems, or some strange food allergy that has never been documented before. It is all too easy to fall victim to the restrict reward patterns that our diet culture feeds on. You have to understand that anyone aiming to sell you a 30-day anything is not profiting off of your success. They profit off of your repeat business because if you succeeded, you wouldn't come back and spend more money. The reason diets don't work in the long run isn't because you're a failure or lack willpower or superpower high metabolism genes, which very few people do. Diets don't work because they're not created to. Every now and then you hear a success story, someone who lost tons of weight and kept it off for good. It isn't the diet that worked though. It was the person's commitment to it and development of habits that became a lifestyle. One such lifestyle that's received a lot of buzz recently is the ketogenic diet. I get asked about this one all the time. It's received rave reviews from celebrities like Halle Berry, who has been singing its praises for years, claiming it not only helps her manage her type 2 diabetes, but keeps her looking young and has improved her skin and physical endurance. Some other big names that swear by the keto lifestyle are Vanessa Hudgens, Megan Fox, Kourtney Kardashian, and Adriana Lima. So what is the ketogenic diet? In short, it's a way of eating that makes the body use fat instead of glucose for energy. So our body prefers glucose for energy, which comes from the digestion of carbohydrates. When sugar is missing in action in our blood circulation, we start breaking down stored fat into molecules called ketone bodies through a process called ketosis. Once ketosis is reached, most cells will use ketone bodies, making energy until carbohydrates are consumed again. 
The shift from using glucose to stored fat usually happens after two to four days of eating less than 20 to 50 grams of carbohydrates per day. But this really depends on the person. For some, it happens sooner, for others, later. People usually associate carbs with bread, pasta, rice, and other obvious suspects. But even vegetables are carbohydrates. So when people claim to not eat carbs, it probably isn't accurate unless they eat no vegetables and no fruit. Besides severely limiting carb intake, a ketogenic diet usually includes moderate protein consumption, about 15 to 30% of a person's daily caloric intake, and a higher intake of fat, about 60 to 70%. A person can enjoy meats, eggs, dairy, fish, nuts, healthy oils, seeds, and fibrous vegetables, but limited starchy vegetables like sweet potatoes. Some people even avoid carrots. Weight loss is the primary reason for trying the ketogenic diet, and some research does show that people lose weight faster eating less carbs than traditional calorie counting or low-fat diets. However, the difference in weight loss seems to disappear over time. Animal studies have also suggested that the keto diet may have anti-aging, anti-inflammatory, and cancer-fighting benefits. However, no comparable human study has been conducted to support or refute this. The arguments for a ketogenic diet usually have more to do with physical results such as weight and fat loss, and people who support it like that it's less restrictive than other diets. No calorie counting, you can eat cheese, but this also poses problems. You could technically eat cauliflower pizza for breakfast, lunch, and dinner and be in ketosis. You lose weight and fat for sure, but you'd also develop some major nutrient deficiencies. Some unpleasant side effects include the keto flu. So in the early stages of ketosis, people often report feeling lethargic, experiencing gastrointestinal distress, sometimes vomiting, and fatigue. This usually passes after a few days, though. Some other possible setbacks are diarrhea, negative impact on athletic performance, ketoacidosis in people with type 1 or type 2 diabetes when the diet isn't done correctly. So ketoacidosis is the result of blood becoming too acidic, which causes damage to the liver, kidneys, and brain. If left untreated, ketoacidosis can be fatal. Weight gain is is inevitable for the long-term keto dieter if they resume eating carbohydrates again. Also, because it is impossible to not lose muscle mass on this diet, that is what accounts for a lot of the major weight loss people see. They'll lose fat for sure, but as we know, muscle is denser, so it's heavier. The weight gain after reintroducing carbohydrates is usually not muscle, but fat. Without sufficient fiber in a diet, which many whole food carbohydrate sources provide, a person runs the risk of developing diabetes and heart disease. We need both soluble and insoluble fiber for a healthy gut, which we are learning more and more about every day, and it's connected to everything from our immune system, endocrine system, basically every body function. I am personally a supporter of intermittent keto cycling with the 14 to 16 hour overnight fast, which I found to be helpful for reducing inflammation and rebalancing blood sugar after like a holiday or vacation when many good eats and libations are consumed. It's really healthy in this sort of short-term and correct usage. Another diet I wanted to talk about is the paleo diet. It's also one I get asked about a lot. Basically, it's a diet that's supposed to mimic what our pre-agricultural hunter-gatherer ancestors ate. 
Do we actually know? Um, its devotees believe that our current Western diet is contributing to the rise of chronic diseases like obesity, heart disease, and cancer. Proposed benefits of the paleo diet include reduced inflammation, improved stamina, and athletic performance, weight loss, and blood sugar stabilization. From a nutrition perspective, the paleo diet does get a few things right. It focuses on the consumption of whole, unprocessed foods, such as a variety of vegetables and fruits, lean protein, and healthy fats, which gets a big stamp of approval for me. However, there's always a but, the paleo diet also requires cutting out grains, dairy, and legumes, which has stirred up quite a bit of controversy among scientists and the health community at large. The concern with cutting out entire food groups such as grains, dairy, and legumes, which provide a wide array of nutrients, is that paleo dieters are likely missing out on some very important nutrients and very susceptible to deficiencies. There's a small percentage of the population who do benefit from a grain-free diet, those with autoimmune diseases and especially celiac. But for the vast majority of humans, we have no issues with digesting grains properly. In fact, adequate whole grain consumption has been shown to decrease inflammation, improve gut health, blood sugar balance, weight, and blood lipids. Refined grains, on the other hand, these are the processed grains, may increase inflammation. The paleo diet unfortunately misses the mark on many levels, including this idea that our bodies are meant to eat certain foods for biological reasons. Science begs to differ. As a species, we are constantly evolving and adapting. The science of epigenetics has shown us that a blueprint for the perfect diet alone isn't enough. Genes can actually be switched on or off by a number of physiological and environmental cues. So the evidence for excluding entire food groups and blaming them for a much bigger poor diet problem doesn't quite stack up, nor do the evolutionary arguments. I also don't like labeling foods as good or bad, or allowed, or off-limits. This is a problematic language for most people, leading to anxiety and an all-or-nothing mindset. We don't live in a petri dish. We live in a complicated world with lots of options that continue to grow with our to-do lists. We need real-life practical solutions to achieve real health rather than magic numbers that don't really exist. So what should people do if there isn't a one-size-fits-all approach? How can you lose weight in a healthy and sustainable way? The first step, in my opinion, is shifting your goals and perspective from good, bad, and skinny to healthy and balanced. Writing daily affirmations helps a lot with this. We tend to spend so much of our time critiquing and judging ourselves rather than celebrating the good. I encourage you to write one good thing about yourself every single day. It could be something nice you did for a friend or your significant other or a compliment you give a random stranger. There are so many good things we do that have nothing to do with our bodies. Acknowledge them. Celebrate them. A second tip is to incorporate more whole foods into your diet, especially vegetables. Half of your plate should be vegetables, at least. When you focus on adding rather than removing, it makes eating healthier much more achievable. Incorporate grass-fed meats into your diet if you eat meat, and free-range poultry and eggs. Eat the yolks. They have lots of good stuff in them, and research now shows that dietary cholesterol does not translate to high blood cholesterol. So eat your eggs, please. Healthy fats. I recommend one to two healthy fats at every meal. This includes olive oil, avocado oil, which is great for baking because it has a high smoke point, 
avocados, coconut oil, nuts and nut butters, hemp seeds, chia seeds, grass-fed butter. Aim for 25 to 35 grams of fiber a day. I can't stress enough how important fiber is in a healthy diet. If you are a healthy person, please eat whole grains and a variety of them. Quinoa, brown rice, buckwheat, and oats are so good for you, and they make regular rotations in my recipes. Avoid added sugars as often as possible. These are sneaky. Sugar is added to a majority of the packaged foods we eat. It's usually labeled in the ingredients section as sugar, corn sugar, dextrose, fructose, corn syrup, agave. There are 56 common names for sugar. Most nutrition labels also show added sugars now, so you can quickly do a quick sanity check to see if sugar has been added to a food. If the sugar is naturally occurring in it, that is fine. However, fruit juices, lattes, and many coffeehouse drinks are filled with too much sugar. An apple is a serving of fruit. Apple juice, on the other hand, is many servings of fruit. You just need one apple, and you also gain the added benefit of fiber by eating the apple whole in its whole form. So when you can, eat foods in their natural whole state. Do not drive yourself crazy, though, counting sugar grams. Just do your best to be aware of what you're eating and eat more foods that don't come with a label, i.e. fresh produce. To make things super simple for yourself, shop the outer perimeter of your grocery store. This is where the healthiest foods are. In summary, the healthiest and most sustainable diet is one that does not omit food groups, but rather focuses on a variety of whole foods and incorporating intuitive eating practices. I can do a whole episode on intuitive eating, and I probably will at some point, but essentially the goal is to honor your hunger. Don't go an entire day without eating. This will wreck your metabolism in the long run. Eat when you're hungry. Eat slowly and taste your food. Enjoy it. Notice the flavors, texture, how it makes you feel. Stop eating when you are comfortably full. Not too full, not craving more food. Eat until you've stretched your stomach, which shuts off the hunger hormones, ghrelin, and leptin. Eat again when your body needs food. This is a very general 10,000-foot view of two popular diets and some healthier alternatives. I'll probably do a deeper dive at some point on each specific diet, but for now, this is a good place to start. If you have any questions about today's topic, please send me an email at fitfabwellbychanel at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.